everybody. Dr. Ron Dalrymple here with Mind Shock. Again, those questions. Today's episode, we're talking about the evolution of consciousness, part two. Last time we talked about the evolution of consciousness, part one. We talked about the development of mankind's consciousness, the usual approach to evolution. We talked about physical forms. We're talking about, however, the change of conscious state, the change of the energy field, or the mind field human beings have. Remember, I'm the guy, the psychologist who started working at NASA way back in 1967, a tender age of 17 years old. I was going to Maryland University in College Park, which is about seven miles away up at Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. Studying with a great group of guys there, tremendous scientists, such as Dr. Paul Lohman, who was my direct boss, also Dr. Herb Blodgett, Dr. Charlie Snyder, Dr. Isidore Adler, and so many great others who were a huge influence upon me developing as a young scientist. And what I loved at NASA was that it was a place of tremendous idealism because the idea was to put human beings in space and eventually on the moon. And now, of course, they're looking towards Mars. The idea was to put people in space, which had not been done before, which is not in our memorable time. Really an amazing, amazing place where we all work together as one team, as one group. Everybody was accepted. So at 17 years old, they accepted me as an equal. I couldn't believe it. I came from a home and a life where you weren't treated all that well. And I was amazed that NASA was treated as an equal by these great, great scientists. But they had an idea that we're all one. We're all working towards a common goal. It was also a place of tremendous pragmatism where the idea was, well, we have this great ideal to fulfill, but we must find a pragmatic way to do this. We must make it operational. We must find a way to bring us all together and do the impossible to put human beings in space. So I learned to combine idealism with pragmatism. So I took many courses at Maryland in math and physics the first two years, and by the second semester of the second year, I was starting to take some psychology classes. By the first semester of the third year, my junior year, I was 19 years old, and one dark, cold, blustery November night, came back to my dormitory at Maryland from NASA, and asked a fateful question, what if you could explain a very series of psychology with math and physics? I was hit by uh, an explosive idea. It was like a tsunami of thought. almost knocked me over. I saw the mind projecting through space like an energy field. I was reminded of Thomas Young's research, which he did in 1801, called the double slit experiment, where he was able to show that light energy projection through space traveled in waveform. Before that, it was debated for several hundred years whether light travels waves or particles through space. It was debated by Huygens and also... Isaac Newton and some others did research on that. Thomas Young was able to show that it did travel as waves. Later research showed that it interacts with matter as particles, so it's actually both. Really fascinating stuff. So he's a polymath who studied many different fields and put together some creative ideas from that. And he gave the idea, idea, what if mind energy, what if thought energy also transcends the physical brain and travels through space and interacts with matter as particles? This is a radical idea. All the prior theories of psychology, psychiatry, so forth, put the brain as supreme and the mind as a subset of the brain. What we're saying instead is that the mind transcends the brain and also ties into various spiritual levels, which we'll get into later on. Now, throughout history, remember, new ideas are often met with derision and great repression. Throughout the ages, especially the Middle Ages, those who had different religious or spiritual beliefs were often burned at the stake or beheaded or drawn and quartered, and all these horrible things were done to them by people wanting to control, wanting to control what people thought. 
with churches and universities and governments all want to control people and make you believe certain things which serves their purposes. The avatars are great minds and great spiritual entities throughout history who created new ideas, often expressed them in a very high ideal type way. That is to say, worship the ideal, not the person. Don't idolize people. But people come along with their egos and they twist the ideas around to make themselves more powerful, to gain more wealth and so forth, whatever. They want to enslave others. We see this happening in the world today with constant battles to enslave the world. Various false philosophies are fed to us and whatnot. Wars are fought all over the world for different ideas. This nonsense has to end. We all need to move towards a higher level of thought and realization. We're all one being. We're all connected to each other. We have a new theory, quantum field psychology, which shows that makes perfect sense. It goes terms of the math and physics of mind versus energy and really our spiritual being where science and spirit become one. It's a bridge theory between science and spirituality, which many folks out there are searching for. In any case, throughout history, repressive regimes with a wide range of abuses have come along and tried to stop humankind. In fact, there was a joke I saw recently that many retain anger and frustration at those who have wronged them. That can happen as well. One guy wrote a letter and said, Dear Karma, I have a list of people that you missed. So the idea of karma, of course, is that we pay for what we do. It all comes back to us profoundly. And that some folks might wish to come return to other people. In any case, as a result of repression, many secretive groups have formed throughout history to preserve the ancient knowledge. Remember we talked about before that the ancient Siddhas walked around through, traveled through southeast India at least, some 12,000 years ago, spreading ideas of higher mind, higher consciousness. And it's also been reported that long before that, many thousands of years before that, that all people could do the miracles and the great things alleged to Christ, Moses, Buddha, Krishna, and so forth. These people could do miraculous things because they had attained that higher state of consciousness that we all can reach. That's the idea, we all can reach. In any case, it was forgotten, as such as uh, ego, we, people dropped into the ego, the ego mind took over, fears, anxieties, and so forth, which parallels the story of the Garden of Eden, where when humankind left the Garden of Eden, they lost contact with the Father. And when returning to the Father, the higher source within, they regained that state of consciousness known as heaven. Is heaven a real place? Sure, we'll talk about that, different levels of heaven, as alleged by various groups. It's also a state of consciousness. Also remember the prodigal son we talked about, the individual went off on a journey. He left the father, again, the higher state of consciousness, went out into the outside world, got involved in riotous living, self-destructive living, ended up in a hog pen, chewing on a half-eaten corn cob by hogs, and he realized, what am I doing? What have I gotten into? He returns to the Father. Returning to the Father and all good graces and gifts and benefits are returned to him. He's going back to that higher state of consciousness. In any case, vast repression has evolved around the world throughout history by the egos who don't want the general populace to know that we all have great abilities and nobody needs to be enslaved by these various groups. So, various approaches have been evolved to express these ideas and often keep them hidden. One is Zoroastrianism. Notice various Rosicrucian groups. Now, Rosicrucians are often attacked and given a bad rap by people who have not studied it, don't understand what's there. There are actually seven groups of Rosicrucians around the world. There's also the Golden Dawn, which was mentioned in a Dan Brown movie about having mystical knowledge. Also Martinism, Operative Masonry, and Zen. 
as well as the teachings of the Incas. They made different groups around the world to preserve this higher mind knowledge because of the repressive aspects of various political organizations and religious organizations, governments, universities, and so forth. Now, preceding the evolution of these groups, again, stands the work of the ancient Siddhas from southern India, who were recreating the knowledge that existed many thousands of years before them. And these various groups formed to keep it secret, keep it hidden. The principles the Siddhas taught, which came from ancient sources before them, have been the root source of many of the other approaches I just mentioned. So the same knowledge has been passed on, often word of mouth, from person to person, throughout history, about who we truly are as spiritual beings and our true powers. Now, one, one question frequently asked is what happens when we leave the physical body through transition or through what's called death? This has been something which people fought about for a long time. There's much fear of death. Many people are terrified of it. They think that nothing exists beyond and so forth. And so death and terror of death has led, led to horror stories and so forth and horror films now. And Halloween and all these things people often get kind of a thrill by the idea of playing with the concept of death. But there's a lot of fear about it which underlies those. Now, at various scenes of, of accidents and so forth, many people have photographed or seen what they claim as a spiritual type form or entity leaving the physical body. There's been thousands of photographs taken, videos taken around the world. Now, are these all faked? Well, maybe not. Maybe some are real. Many people believe that there is something which exists inside us beyond the physical frame. And when it leaves the body, then the body can no longer maintain that spirit. In fact, there's a long history of scientists and self-appointed intellectuals in the West who dismiss reported spiritual experiences of others because it occurs outside their belief systems. For example, in 1766, the great German philosopher Immanuel Kant, who was a brilliant guy, opined that anyone claim to see spirits was probably drinking them or completely mad. But Benjamin Franklin said, we are spirits, that bodies should be lent us while they afford us pleasure, assist us in acquiring knowledge or in doing good to our fellow creatures is a kind of benevolent act of God. When they become unfit for these purposes and afford us pain instead of pleasure, instead of an aid, become an encumbrance answer none of these intentions for which they were given is equally kind and benevolent the way is provided by which we get rid of them. Death is that way. So he was saying that we are spiritual beings and we occupy the physical body for a certain period of time. In fact, the ancient references to being within the temple really means the physical body. Many claim that the temple is not, doesn't have to be some building with four walls. But rather, the temple is the spiritual entity or the physical body rather where the spiritual entity manifests and learns Rose. Now, in 1906, Dr. McDougall at Massachusetts General found that at the precise moment of death, if a body loses weight, think about that, if a body loses weight, it's going that something has left the body. What he did was he put these hospital beds where folks were approaching transition or death, put them on these huge scales, these old weighted scales, and when the person died, they could see that the scale shifted because something of weight had left the physical body. It's maintained that that is the etheric body or the astral body, which is the immediate energy body surrounding the physical body. That leaves the physical body at death. It does have some weight because it is part of the physical world spectrum. We'll get more into that later. Now, a thought has come from many sources on this topic. 
the idea is that into the world for an incarnation, we go through many experiences, and we absorb our experiences in life. Those are then imprinted upon the energy bodies, which is our true self, which we then take back to higher worlds to sort of process and absorb. So life is to be experienced as spiritual beings who learn and grow and help us evolve. Now at death, these groups maintain it takes three and one half days to imprint the experiences of the past life from the vital body onto the desire body. So first we have the physical body that has many, many levels to it. And the vital body, which is an energy body, an energy field, according to these sources, immediately surrounds the physical body. It's in that vital body is a template of the physical body. So for example, if a person loses an arm, the etheric body or vital body is still there which is why the person feels phantom pain, phantom sensations for a long time through that etheric body. That curly in photography, which came out in the late 60s, early 70s, showed that if you cut off the leaf of a plant, the energy field of the leaf is still there. And if you also take a curling photograph of someone who's lost a limb or a finger or hand, whatever, an arm, you'll still see the imprint of the finger, hand, or arm still there. So the vital body still exists. So the vital body immediately surrounds the physical body then around that is the desire body, energy field, which has lower desires as well as higher desires pertaining to our conscious growth. Then around that, there are two different mental bodies. One is the level of concrete thought. The next is the level of abstract thought. Beyond that, we get into various levels of spirit. So these concepts come from some of the secret groups that formed around the world. Now, no post-mortem or cremation should be done until after that period, after three and a half or four days, because the spirit needs time to transcribe the information from the vital body onto the desire body so it can be taken into higher worlds to be absorbed, processed, and understood. If the body is destroyed before that, much of the information can be lost to the spirit, which is a great, great tragedy. So we must preserve as best we can and hold off from cremation. Now, the vital body must remain intact or a panorama of the past life has been etched onto the desire body. We think it's best for the individual to be in a quiet place, not surrounded by people wailing and lamenting and so forth. It distracts them from absorbing the information they must absorb. This allows the self to experience a later purgatory, which is the lower level of the desire world, much more effectively. When the physical body, the vital body, the desire world, desire body, the lower level of the desire body is purgatory. Now, the Catholic faith belongs, believes in purgatory. This approach also says that purgatory exists as a place where we go through all the things we did in life and get to experience them in terms of how we influence other people. So it kind of rolls backwards. So we start from when we immediately passed away. We roll backward to absorb all the things we did. But we do so without the dense physical body blunting the emotional effects. So we're simply in the spiritual body. So we feel it much more profoundly, more intensely. The purpose of purgatory is not to punish us or torture us, but to help us eradicate injurious habits, to remove injurious negative thoughts, emotions, and behaviors. Instead, learn higher concepts. So we must experience every thought, emotion, and behavior which we enact on others in life. We see the result of our misconceived effects on other souls and think, of course, upon ourselves. We have to experience directly what we did to really learn it. We then retain within the feelings from these actions 
which help create our conscience for future lifetimes. So in a future lifetime, we have an impulse. Oh, don't do that. And so the devil in the shoulder says, oh, do this, do this. And the voice says, nope, don't do it. That's a conscience telling you, don't do it because you're going to pay for it. So it gets retained within. Now, a great example of this or an exemplar of this is Dickens Scrooge. Remember, Charles Dickens wrote the story of Christmas Carol back in the 1800s, which is a very powerful story about the transformation of character of an individual, of Scrooge, which first is visited one Christmas Eve by his old friend Marley. Now, he and Marley are both real little Scrooges, you know, real penny pickers, real greedy type people. They don't care about other people. They show disdain for humanity, bah humbug about Christmas, so forth. In any case, Dickens is visited by Marley. Marley approaches him with a long chain behind him, which represents karma, the karmic debt he's created already. Marley says, Scrooge, when I died, your chain behind you was just as long as mine was then, and now yours is much, much longer. You have seven years more you've added to it. Scrooge learns more lessons, realizes he must transform who he is, must change his character, and get beyond all the mess he created. Now, according to these sources, <coughs> pardon me, purgatory takes about one-third of the years of your life. So if you live for 60 years, about 20 years to roll backward all the things you did to learn from them. When the purgatory experience is over, the purified spirit rises to the higher regions of the desire world. That's the next world up, or the next part of the desire world, rather. So first off in the lower regions of purgatory, and goes to the higher regions, also known as the first heaven. Okay, here's a panorama. Past life again rolls backward. This time it's a good act done for others. You get to review all the good things you did, all the beautiful things you did. People you helped, people you lifted up, all the good things you added to the world. You get to experience how it affected other people and ourselves. So it helps develop our self-esteem, spiritual awakening, understand that we must do good works always because every thought, emotion, behavior will return to you. This is what we must understand. So the mills of the gods grind exceedingly fine, folks. They might grind slowly, they're very fine because every thought, emotion, behavior will return to you. Often, many times over, until we get the lesson. So here we experience also the gratitude those gave us, the gratitude we gave them, which helps create soul growth. We get to experience now the good things we did. Especially helpful in life to help others is a kind word, empathy, random acts of kindness, to help other people help themselves. The best way to help someone is by teaching them how to help themselves, how to evolve and grow to a higher state, not being dependent upon us, but upon themselves. It's also a place where all ennoble desires are experienced, which life did not afford them. So, for example, if you earned various things in life, but were had various shortcomings, you were betrayed or sabotaged or whatever, you get to experience the effects of all those good things you did. You can learn from that as well. The next level we move to known as the second heaven by this theory which is the region of concrete thought. Now, in this region, people pass into a state of just being and knowing that he or she is. So it's a very powerful state of mind and being. You feel like you're in the great forever. So you profound peace surpasseth all understanding. So it can't be described by human words, but it's such a great state of joy and light and love. It's incredible. The spirit awakens to the music of the spheres, a place where living Composers of meditation or deep concentration find inspiration. Remember, we talked about how Mozart 
going to a state of concentration just write an entire symphony. So think of all the instruments in a symphony. You have Reichwitz, Reichmann, might be the first, second, third clarinet, a couple of tubers, and all these violins, and you have to write the music. Piano and so forth. You write the music for all these instruments, entire symphony, write them down note for note just by hearing the music and the spheres, as it were, in his mind's ear, which is pretty incredible. Now, Nikolai Tesla could also access that world, get his ideas for inventions. He could build a motor, which David, an electric motor, for example, or Dutch or whatever, or a generator. He could build it perfectly in his mind's eye, let it run for months to observe the wear and tear upon it, the friction. Then build it perfectly, and it'll run perfectly. So this is where <coughs> from archetypes exist, where structures the physical world, often in the form of sounds. So sounds also are part of the archetype that physically exists. It's theorized that when the pyramids were built, remember the pyramids, many pyramids around the east area of the earth, they're fascinating. Who built them? Guys pulling, a bunch of slaves pulling these big stones over logs in the sand. 5,000-pound blocks? No, it's ridiculous. Maybe earlier technology, perhaps earlier civilizations built these. But the surfaces of the stones are cut so well, theorized that lasers today could not do such fine work. They had to be former civilizations, which then fell, perhaps, or destroyed themselves. In any case, the world of concrete thought is a world of concrete productions of original ideas that were formed in a higher world. It's a place to build things, to detailed ideas of what an engineer would do. Hence, time of preparation also for the next life. The spirit is preparing for the next incarnation upon, upon earth. And here, the spiritualization is the new vehicle to accomplish by developing the faculties, which also applies to physical life. You must develop our faculties of observation, as keen observation of the physical world, of relationships, of how things work, of variables, how each thing influences everything else, discrimination between different variables and people and situations, memory, both short-term and long-term memory, the time of devotion to high ideals, very high ideals. We don't idealize people or things, but we idealize and devote ourselves to the ideals, the concepts, the ideas, which are far more important. We idealize people or institutions become idolatry, which means it develops in totally the wrong direction. It's also a time of prayer, concentration, persistence, the right use of the life force begins to labor on. The life force is very, very powerful to be used to help spiritualize the individual. Instead of being wasted, which is now encouraged by the forces of Hollywood and other aspects of our society, which are leading us to believe these. The second heaven is also the true home of humankind, the thinker, the spiritual self. You can spend centuries there absorbing the last life, every detail of the last life, and preparing for the next life. Think about that. The home of the deep, deep thinker. Remember, we talked about Rodin before. Thinker, Le Penseur in French, the thinker. So deep in thought is the place where we truly try to understand every aspect of the previous life and prepare for the next life. Here a person works on building also a better body for his next incarnation, her next incarnation, a better plan for human expression. So think about all the combined thought energy of people on earth and also in the spiritual plane. That combined thought energy influences the earth the structure and surface of the earth, and in fact, the entire universe. So the power of thought is very, very great. And as we are spiritual beings, if this theory is correct, we transcend this world, and that creative power takes on enormous capacity, especially combined with that of everybody else in the world. So here in this plane of concrete thinking, we work on creating a plan for better human expression. 
mission there is to become a creative intelligence. We are serving an apprenticeship all the time. Students of Earth life, those life in these planes, we're constantly working as apprentices to evolve into a much higher state of consciousness. That's like in the film Being Reflection, they talk about how we're kind of like caterpillars, pardon the reference, but we're evolving into butterflies. We evolve beyond us. We break forth to a whole new type of being, a whole new type of energy being coming only this world. We're currently in, but it's what we learn. Exospirit ascends to the region of abstract thought, which is above the level of concrete thought. And abstract thought, that's where germinal ideas are just where the germination of ideas first start. It's the third heaven also. Pardon, the spirit is strengthened for its next dip into matter. Think about that. You're here to learn and grow and absorb. Before you go back to matter, you go back to a world of chaos again to learn more lessons. Spirit here will view a panorama of the next life, but much is left of free will. So there's various key points are there, like where you might be born, what family you're born into, and so forth. There's every spirit, the soul you've known before. There'll be various relationships to work out various things to achieve, various goals in life, various missions to perform, but much is left to your free will. But you're going to make a lot of that happen yourself as you go through it. Your choices are made to gain experience. Life is not to be happy per se, as we're often told, but that you gain knowledge and eventually wisdom. That's the key to gain wisdom to evolve to a higher conscious being. The experience is the knowledge of the effects which follow act. If you want to attain knowledge and wisdom, then experience, of course, is knowing what certain actions will do and how it will affect others in the world around us. Willpower, the will force, is the energy whereby we apply the results of our experience. Developing our will is to concentrate, visualize, focus on what we want to make happen. The powers of the creative mind, it's not just power of attraction by any means, it's the power of creative thought. The creative powers we have are really key. So experience is gained to obtain wisdom. But how we gain it's up to us. The way of the transgressor is hard. Remember, we can go through life being negativistic and harming others, defeating ourselves and others, then learning very hard lessons through karma. Maybe you have to reincarnate again and again and again to learn certain lessons. That's a hard way to go. Or about this, we can choose the path of pain or we can choose the path of peace. The path of pain leads to a lot more chaos and self-destruction, harming others. The path of peace leads to higher enlightenment, much more successful life, a much better life, a much happier life where you can create beautiful things for yourself and others on the planet. So think about that. Profound difference. We're at a crossroads every, every second, every nanosecond. We think about different things. We have a choice to make. We go this way or that way. It's like the devil's on one shoulder, the angel's on another. Right? Go this way, go that way. Well, we have to decide. Everything we think about, we're making choices and decisions. And each one of those choices has consequences. There are all these energy streams that project forth. Remember, mind's an energy field, projecting energy constantly. Where you think about, you project energy out. Choose one path or another. And each path we choose, we're going to pay for it. We must choose wisely, so we develop the experience, the wisdom, the ability to choose wisely, to make good choices in life. So here's a question. What is your ultimate destiny? What are you doing in life? What is your purpose upon this planet? What do you want to achieve? Do you have a mission, divine mission upon Earth? 
come to achieve, what you were sent here to do, for each one of us, for example, is a particular instrument of the entire symphony on earth. Think about that. Every person is a profoundly important instrument in the symphony of life on earth. Okay, so each one of us has a purpose, a mission to perform. Your purpose is irrelevant. Don't let people put you down or step on you. Don't let those tell you that you're not important. Don't let people make you a scapegoat or manipulate you. We'll get more to that later on. Instead, you want to take charge of our lives at a higher level. Take creative charge. We are creative beings. We're very powerful creative beings with vast capabilities inside us, which we're just now discovering and awakening to. So join us in this journey, folks. We've got a lot of stuff coming out. We're looking for research that shows the minds and energy field, that shows we're energy beings. We have a lot more information to go along. We'll be interviewing a lot of experts in the world about this. We have books and films out. The new film is The Endless Question. It's currently available on Amazon Prime. It's free on Amazon. It's also on Tubi, Flickster, Apple TV. There's more platforms coming. We also have these podcasts we're doing on Anchor FM, which is great. There's great folks here. We're also on a number of other platforms like this. There's a whole list of them. We also have our podcast on YouTube. You can find them there. Under Dr. Ron Dalrymple. We're also on Facebook and LinkedIn pages, Instagram and Twitter. Look under Dr. Ron Dalrymple or The Endless Question. We have pages on Facebook and LinkedIn with messages on Instagram and Twitter about this concept. We also have a number of books on Amazon. The first book is Eight Days of Creative Power. It came out years ago based on research at the University of Maryland, which I did while a graduate student there, on the three approaches to creativity based on thought processes, your emotional energies, your behavior, 